Welcome to RNFM Radio, Nursing Unleashed. We're your hosts, Kevin Ross and Keith Carlson, and we bring you inspiring interviews with a wide array of nursing experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs. We're glad you're here. So welcome and enjoy the show. here on RNFM Radio on the Pulse of Nursing. Our leading platform with a dynamic guest list continues to grow and diversify with each and every episode. Speaking of episodes, we are uh, reaching, oh yeah, this is episode number 78. You're coming in live with us tonight on Monday evening. This is September 16th. 2013, and we've got a wonderful guest for you this evening. And as always, these are the leaders and thought provokers in our industry, and we couldn't be more excited uh, to bring them to you here, uh, right here with us on RNFM. Now, I'm Kevin Ross. I'm here in my studio in Colorado. Yes, it is wet around here, and um, just a not too somber moment. I did want to let everybody know the uh, obviously the devastating news here in Colorado. We are uh, directly impacted by the floods here. We are in the Boulder area. Um, of course, fortunately, our uh, neck of the woods here, my little uh, cul-de-sac, so to speak, in our neighborhood, has not necessarily been directly affected, but we were on uh, evacuation warning since uh, Friday morning, that is, and so bags were packed just in case we had to get out because of the access roads. It's very difficult to really paint the picture for all of our community out there. I've gotten such an outpouring of emails and calls and texts, and I really appreciate that from the community. Um, it's just, it, it's a very surreal experience, and it's very difficult to uh, put it into words. I can just say that uh, we are safe, my family is safe, a lot of our friends are safe, but we do have folks out there that are not so lucky. Homes have been destroyed, roads have been uh, they're just washed away, and there's no access in or out in certain places. There are so many people not accounted for in the state. And again, I didn't want this to be a somber uh, uh, little uh, snippet here on our show, but I just wanted to thank each and every one of you out there who has poured out all of their uh, heartfelt um, prayers and thoughts uh, to myself, my family, and of course all of those that I know and, again, all of those people that I don't know. So if you are interested in uh, helping out with the relief, you can certainly uh, follow the hashtag Colorado Flood, C-O Flood, uh, and there's a lot of information there. And it's, certainly you can hit me up at Kevin at InnovativeNurse.com, and I can certainly point you in the direction of how you can help uh, all of these individuals that have been directly impacted in Colorado. Anyway, without further ado, my fellow co-host is in a, I believe, a drier climate right now here, Keith Carlson in New Mexico, who was just here in Boulder not that long ago, um, but he is here with me tonight in the studio, and I wanted to welcome him. 
So, Keith, how are you, sir? Thanks, Kevin. I'm just fine. Things are relatively dry here. We've actually had quite a bit of rain in Santa Fe, but nothing compared to what's been happening up there where you live. And, you know, Mary and I were there five days before the floods, and it's amazing what can happen in just, you know, the course of a day or two. Uh, when Mother Nature really lets loose. So we're sorry for the loss of life up there and the loss of homes and property, and we hope everyone's going to eventually be okay. And we will be sending out that hashtag COFlood if anyone would like to learn how to help out. And some of our friends out near Las Vegas, New Mexico, also are stranded in their homes. There's been massive rains up there in the further reaches of northern New Mexico, and our friends' roads were completely destroyed in the floods. So there's still some folks in Mexico who had some devastating rains, too, and floods. But otherwise, things are fine. We're excited to have here have our guest here tonight for Episode 78, and we'll be introducing her in a couple moments. But, Kev, could you give a little rundown on how to get in touch and stay in touch, and then we will introduce this evening's guest. Well, definitely, Keith. And I did want to point out, I am calling in the studio via Google Hangout, so I am hanging out there if anybody wants to uh, certainly connect. The show is live through the Hangout, so if you come into the Hangout, you can listen to the show and, of course, chat with me uh, as well uh, during that show. So that's kind of a new component. We'll be adding more features later on. But we are hanging out under the hashtag RNFM Radio. And so any questions or comments, if you're hanging out on Twitter, uh, using your aggregators like Hootsuite, then, or you don't have to use Hootsuite, but just it's easier to follow, certainly, the hashtag RNFM Radio, and chime in there. We, we're definitely watching it. Keith does a wonderful job hanging out over there on Twitter, uh, bringing in what we're saying in on the show and bringing in what you want to say, and we bring that, you know, and it's kind of a back-and-forth conversation there that we can have with you, the community. Of course, we're hanging out live. Blog Talk Radio is our platform. So you can hang out blogtalkradio.com forward slash RNFM radio, or if you'd rather, just go to our website, rnfmradio.com, and then just click the Listen Now button, and all of our shows are there live uh, when we're live, and of course, all of our shows, all, and of course, after tonight, all 78 will be archived right there on the show. We're also on ProMed Network at promednetwork.com forward slash RNFM radio. And as always, we appreciate the callers. You can just call in to listen or you can call in with questions or comments, 347-308-8064. Now, that's the studio number, but our phone number is also uh, the one that you can leave messages for us or text us questions or comments. That's 720-466-3022. And you can do that at any time. And uh, that number, again, for the studio is 347-308-8064. Now, Keith, um, you and I should probably bounce off of each other here a little bit, a little commentary about the NNBA that's coming up and about our sponsorship. Um, And it's still in the works, but I think simply put, we've got the NNBA conference. That's October 5th and 6th. Is that right, Keith? They're in Orlando, right? That's right, October 5th and 6th at the Embassy Suites in downtown Orlando. Yeah, so we are partnering up with Andrew Lopez of Nurse Friendly, Nurse Up, uh, Innovative Nurse, and RNFM, and you, of course, Keith, uh, with Digital Doorway and Nurse Keith Coaching. We have combined efforts to sponsor registrations 
for a select few community members out there. Now here that we haven't listed the specific details of that, but here's what I would suggest you do. Hit us up with the hashtag RNFMRadio, and you can also use the hashtag NNBA2013, and we'll find you out there. Or you can also just find us directly on, if you just go to our contact page at rnfmradio.com or our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com forward slash rn.fmradio. I'm sure you can find us by now. And just reach out to us and we can give you more details about that sponsorship. But we encourage you to do so because this is an opportunity for you to hang out with some incredible entrepreneurs out there, nurse entrepreneurs, budding, experienced uh, entrepreneurs out there that are going to be sharing a wealth of information. And this is an opportunity for you to jump on board. And really, what it will just cost you, if you're not in the Orlando area, then a plane ticket in your hotel, but the registration is on us. So That's hit us right. up with some um, details, So and we'll get That's back to That's right. You. And I, I put that out on my Facebook page just the other day, and one person has already received sponsorship, and she'll be coming from North Carolina to Orlando Great. on October 5th. That's Martha. So if Martha's listening, hey, Martha, and we're so glad you'll be there. She'll introduce herself to us when she arrives. So, yeah, so one person has already taken us up on the offer, and she'll be uh, booking her flight any day. Now, without further ado, Kevin, I'd like to introduce our guest tonight, Karen Mercereau. She's a nationally recognized visionary leader in healthcare. She's known for her ability to transcend challenges and create opportunity from complexity. Sounds just like a nurse. This was the quality behind her founding of RN Patient Advocates in 2002, for which she received a Purpose Prize Fellowship. A clinical RN for 45 years in diverse intensive care as well as community health settings, Karen was also integral in developing the first ever hospice in Tucson, Arizona. Recognizing the dearth of public health programs available in the AIDS community in the late 80s, she chaired a countywide consortium to develop AIDS relief programs in Tampa Bay, and she's also been instrumental in the design and implementation of hospital and healthcare systems, lecturing and na- nationally on their wider applications. Currently, Karen heads the RN Patient Advocate Learning Intensive in association with the University of Arizona College of Nursing. This is an immersion learning program for qualified clinical nurses to prepare them for the development of their own practices as independent RN patient advocates. She's also the leader of the RN patient advocate group practice in Southern Arizona, comprised of independent RN patient advocates, and they provide individual RN patient advocate services and community health literacy programs. And she's the president of Health Education and Advocacy Leaders Incorporated, a foundation she started to support community health literacy programs. You can find her at patientadvocates.com. And Karen Mercero, welcome, welcome to RNFM Radio. Well, thank you very much, um, Keith and Kevin both. I, I'm very grateful for this opportunity to speak with my colleagues across the country. Um, nurses, I believe, well, are largely an, uh, an unrecognized resource, and, and uh, so I very much appreciate what you're doing. Well, well we you, appreciate Karen. that. and. Well, and, and, you know, Keith, I wanted to just, uh, you know, obviously put out there, you and I met for the first time after 18 months having a show together, and uh, social media was how we got together. And, of course, Karen had reached out 
Um, and we, you know, haven't met uh, Karen, but she reached out via the uh, via social media or contact our, our contact uh, us page, and I called her back. And you know, this is sort of the power of what the platform is. We're glad to have this platform here at RNFM Radio, and we know there are a lot of nurses that have so many wonderful things to say. And you know, Karen, we're just—it's a pleasure to have you on the air with us tonight, and we're just so glad that it worked out so well that we had a spot open, and we had just only talked to you just a matter of weeks ago. So this was just—it really worked out well for us all, I think. So, the uh, the platform is yours, and we look forward to hearing more uh, that you have to say about you know, patient advocacy uh, as an RN patient advocate. That is. That's right. Well, and, thank you. Oh, yeah. Did you uh, did you want to take the lead here? Sure. Uh, the the first thing we really wanted to ask Karen mm-hmm. was, a lot of our our nurse listeners and non-nurse listeners probably don't know what officially an RN patient advocate is. So can you explain RN patient advocacy for us? I'd be delighted. Thank you. Um, RN patient advocacy is an emerging new practice model. Um, it is a direct and creative response to what's going on in healthcare today. Um, the medical system is fractured. People are having bad outcomes, and um, there are some statistics that I think they're mentioning here uh, which serve as context for the development of this this role. According to the World Health Organization, we are number 37 on the planet. <laughs> People like to think that in, here in America we have the leading healthcare system in the world. We don't. We're behind Costa Rica in terms of quality outcomes. Um, also, the, there's a problem with misdiagnoses. According to the Association for Healthcare Research and Quality, which is a subset of uh, Health and Human Services, they did a big meta-analysis nationally and found that depending upon practice setting, 10 to 30% of all diagnoses are wrong. And in the ER, that number goes up to 40%, um, which is a real surprising factor for a lot of people. Um the latest big national study on death due to medical error um, done by a Dr. Barbara Starfield out of Hopkins School of Public Health found that um, she could statistically identify 225,000 deaths a year due to medical error. And that's just in the hospitalized population. That does not reflect the larger community setting because there are no reporting mechanisms out there. So. Our inpatient advocacy is truly an idea whose time has come. Um, we are independent, and what that means is that we are not beholden to institutions or healthcare plans. Um, the Institute of Medicine uh, published something called the uh, Crossing the Quality Chasm, in which they identified uh, five leading things that the healthcare system needed to do in order to improve. And one of the first ones listed is patient-centered care. Going back to patient-centered care instead of formulaic medicine. And that is exactly what our patient advocacy is about, patient-centered care. Hmm. So, Karen, it sounds like RN patient advocates are trained clinical nurses who receive additional training to become patient advocates. And we'll talk about the training. And the designation for that is is lowercase i, R-N-P-A, and you said that the I means independent, 
registered nurse patient advocate, correct? That is correct. And the reason it's a small I is because the large I stands for the Iranian News Service. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> so that's we why don't we want to make a small I. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, good choice on the on the lowercase I. I think that was really important. Um, so, um, <laughs> well, Karen. So, what what type of nurse, you know, besides being an RN, who who becomes an RN patient advocate? What type of nurse are we talking about here? Well, we are looking for qualified, experienced clinical nurses. Um, advanced degrees are welcome, though they are not necessary. Um, it's my it's my feeling that RNs uh, are the key players in correcting many of the problems in healthcare today, and so some of the things that we're looking for uh, for an RN patient advocate is passion for patient advocacy. You know, every nurse will say, "Well, I'm a patient advocate," and and that's indeed true, some more than others. But in the hospital setting or in the clinic setting, you have very little time to actually pay attention to each individual patient and advocate on their behalf. You do not work for that patient. You work for the institution. We are looking for an independent spirit, self-directed individual. Um, The RNPA has to be creative because we are thinking outside the box. We are not following a formula. Um, because every patient is different. And if you don't recognize that fact, then you will not be an, an effective RPA. Um, you must be an excellent communicator and have well-developed teaching skills because education is a central defining element of our education advocacy. Um, you must also have a highly developed ability to collaborate across all elements of the healthcare system. We are not finger pointers. We are collaborative agents to make things work better. Um, RNPAs have to be expert negotiators. And one of the most important things is that RNPAs must be life learners with a very strong sense of curiosity, constantly going, why is that? How does that work? What's going on here? Um, and, and you know, learning has to be a part of your daily practice. Um, we are also, we have to have a very strong clinical knowledge base and experience and a willingness to be a pioneer. And what does that mean? Um, when you are a pioneer, you are breaking new ground. You are standing as a focus of attention. When you stand and you say, my name is, and I'm an independent orientation advocate, head turn, you know? And they go, well, what's that? And you have to be able to communicate clearly what that means. And, of course, that's all covered in the learning intensive. Um, and one of the most important things is that you must be willing as an RNPA to go beyond just drugs and surgery. Um, the allopathic Mm -hmm. model, or just drugs and surgery, which is extremely effective in the acute setting. But for chronic or degenerative or autoimmune, they don't really have a whole lot for you. And since the Human Genome Project um, happened globally, there has been an abundance of new sciences and tremendous advances 
in degenerative chronic and autoimmune. And those things are called functional medicine, integrative medicine, and systems biology. And the RNPA has to be knowledgeable about it all. Well, this is a great uh, segue here, Karen, to to really break it down just a little bit further for our community members out there. Um, as an advocate myself, I have a pretty good idea of what you do, but I think for the community, they would love to know what it is that an RN patient advocate does day to day, because you talk about you know the problems, and we are definitely well positioned to have some of those answers, and then so. What is it that we're doing, and then what kind of scope of practice are we looking at here as an RN patient advocate? Well, that's a good question. What do we do? Um, the scope and standards of practice have evolved as a direct reflection of patient patient care. Um, nobody sat in a room and, and, and made this up. Um, the scope and standards of practice are broad and, and far-reaching and include uh, – what has become the advocacy process. Um, this is actually a matrix model. It is rather than the linear model of the, the usual nursing process with which we are all familiar. Um, as I mentioned before, education is essential tenet. There are many moving parts to the advocacy process, so I'm just going to briefly go through some of them to give you an idea. Um, first mm-hmm. thing is to establish a therapeutic relationship with the patient and family. Um, this is done, it begun through a very extensive intake process, um, which includes all the usual things such as social, you know, family, history, meds, supplements, et cetera. But then we go into nutritional status, exercise status, uh, travel, where they might have been exposed to other things, toxin exposure, which is a critical element considering how many chemicals are at least in our society. Um, so getting all of this information together and beginning to work um, therapeutically with the patient and family, and it's always patient and family, never just one patient, um, this allows us to begin what becomes the advocacy plan. This is an evolving element which is essential to the matrix of the advocacy process. Um, Next step we have to do is to assure the integrity of the diagnostic process, remembering how many misdiagnoses there are. So what does this mean? Well, um, you obviously are looking to see that unnecessary things are not done, but that the necessary things are done uh, as well. This is your typical labs and procedures, lab tests, lab course and our quest, the usual, but we move way beyond that into advanced diagnostic tools, which are functional, uh, utilized by functional and integrative physicians. And why is this? Because chronic illness can actually be reversed. If you can uncover the reason for the chronic illness. Functional medicine is a real standout. And again, it's a direct outpouring from Human Genome Project. But um, functional medicine goes after the why. You have cancer. Well, rather than just going after treatment, how about asking why? Systems biology, also Human Genome Product, systems biology looks at the tens of thousands of chemical feedback loops in the body which creates something called terrain. Cancer doesn't just happen. 
cancer happens for a reason, MS happens for a reason, lupus. You have to look at what is the underlying terrain. And so these advanced diagnostic tools do just that. They go after root cause, systemic changes, rather than just, you know, symptom arrays. Um, this is one of the things that really sets RMPAs apart, that we include from any other advocacy program, in that we include the functional and integrative approaches as well as the allopathic or traditional Western medicine approach. Um, well, that, well, Karen, that's great. I was looking at your website and seeing up at the top that there was there were pages on functional medicine, integrative medicine, the vitamin discount program through Emerson Ecologics, which is a great organization, great company. So. It sounds like these diagnostic tools obviously wouldn't be used by the RN patient advocate. He or she would be advocating, no pun intended, or maybe pun is intended, um, for those various types of therapies to be utilized to really get at the bottom of what's happening with the patient. But the question I have for you first is, who do the IRNPAs, the, the independent registered nurse um, patient advocates, who do they actually work for? Are they independent contractors, or are some facilities actually hiring them to follow patients, or insurance no, companies no. hiring them? How does this all work out on the, you know, when the rubber hits the road? Who are they working for? We are working for the patient. We are independent, and patients hire us. And uh, so we are our total allegiances to them, though we work collaboratively. In other words, we're outside the system because we don't work for an institution or an insurance mm -hmm. plan, but we are totally operational within the system. So it gives us a tremendous opportunity, opportunity to create change. Um, wow. Mm -hmm. and, now, is this, you know, Keith, um, this uh, is as a, yeah, go ahead, Kev. Well, well, no, I was going to say. Well, I was going to say, Keith and Karen. Um, you know, I've sometimes uh, marketed myself as like the Sherpa to help sort of traverse this huge mountain uh, that we call the healthcare system. So they they hire me as the as their Sherpa to help them get up this thing. So yeah, well, that's, that's, that's I, I don't know if that translates well, but yeah, it just, it just oh, kind of popped great. in my head. Right. Yeah. Well. You, uh, to continue on with, with some of the things that we do, um, once we, we are in process with the diagnostic work and making sure they're seeing the right docs, because people don't know who they're supposed to see. And, of course, then you have to not only find the docs, you have to vet them. You know, you have to look at their education. You have to look at their insurance profile. Have they had a lot of problems? Um, then we get into the medical records. Now, one of the reasons that you have all of the misdiagnoses is that there is no, whether records are electronic or paper, they're not being read in their entirety because nobody's got time, right? And there is not an algorithm for putting the proper information in front of the proper person at the proper time. So what we've done is 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 unique, and we collect all of the medical records. I've gone back 40 years. I mean, I'm going to lay my hands on all the records I possibly can. And we approach it in a forensic manner. What does that mean? What does that mean? We are looking for trends, which would not otherwise be apparent. And as we age, trends are, 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 critical, are critical, critical importance. We're looking for gaps. What's missing here? 
we're looking for clinically significant outlier events. And I'll give you just a quick example of what that means. Um, had a patient who was going for surgery, I was going through his medical records, and I saw that he was on uh, low-dose aspirin following open heart, not an unusual thing. The only problem is that two years prior, he had had bilateral subretinal bleeds. Right? Now, aspirin increases the capillary permeability of the retinal bed. The man could have gone blind. No one noticed. So little things, we took care of that that afternoon. But anyway, um, little things show up. And then mistakes. Medical records are full of mistakes. So we put all of this together along with our intake information in a synoptic chronologic tool. It's written in medical ease, abbreviated, double-spaced, typically about six pages long. Docs love it because you hand them that and and they flip through that thing. Typically what they'll do is they'll refer to it frequently during the appointment. ERs think, you know, this is a magical thing because they're shooting in the dark usually. They don't have records. They don't have anything. People are all stressed out. They don't know what to tell the doc. They walk in Uh with that Medicaid and go, you know, the right information to make the appropriate diagnostic and therapeutic choices is right there in front of them. So that's called the Medicaid. So that's another thing that we do. Um, once there is a diagnosis in place, what do we do? We research all of the various therapeutic options that are available. Um, rather than just going, here, this is what the problem is, and here's what you're supposed to do, right? And then they call that an informed consent. Um, I beg to differ. It's not an informed consent. They're just signing on the dotted line. So we sit down with them. We make sure they consult with all the right docs. Right, to get all the information, and we teach them what's possible. What's the right choice for one patient is not going to be the right choice for another one. There are cultural, there are educational, there are familiar, there are all different reasons for different choices. So we make sure we guide them through the decision-making process, and then once the choice is made, then we put the team together and manage the team, facilitating communication throughout. Um, we include not only the usual players, uh, you know, PTOT speech, the right doc, but we also are looking for an expanded team. Maybe this patient needs acupuncture, maybe myofascial release, you know. Um, there are many, many therapeutic modalities which can be helpful. And mm-hmm. so uh, some of them need doctor's orders, some, some don't. Um, we are coaching and guiding that patient and family throughout. Another really big thing is that while we're doing this, we're teaching them how to be their own health advocate. We're not always going to be there. Now, they can't do exactly what we do because they don't have the clinical knowledge base, but there's a great deal that they can do to protect themselves, and we make sure that they know how to do that. And now, that's the educational thing, component, right, Karen? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's, um, Educating the patient. That's very, very smart. Oh, oh it, it's central. And talking mm-hmm. about education, uh, again, we go beyond that. Part of our mission is community health literacy, which is why I created the foundation um, to support that. According to the latest statistics, in this country, we are topping out at about 12% health literacy. That's appalling. Where are people getting their health information? Well, they're getting it from ads. 
or a little article that they read someplace. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they don't really know. And so what we do is we go out in the community and we provide leading-edge, non-commercial health information. And this serves two purposes. It gets us out there in the public, right, so that they can get to know a little bit about who an RNPA is. But it also is a community service. It's marketing and it's community service. So it's a really good thing to do. That sounds That's like a just smart. That's a few of the things that we do. Right? right. That sounds like a smart business model, Karen. And uh, I have a couple comments and a question. One is that I'm assuming that most patients pay out of pocket for the service of a RNPA, obviously, because it's not something necessarily I would. I would imagine it's not covered by insurance at this point, and I imagine maybe it will be in the future. So are most of your patients people who have the wherewithal to to pay for the services of an RN patient advocate? Because it's a wonderful person to have in your corner. Yes. Um, people, people, a lot of people can afford us. Um, where we need to do a discount, we will. I'd like to speak for a minute about why insurance doesn't cover us. When we mm-hmm. started... Uh, 11 years ago, I went and actually talked to insurance companies, and they were very patronizing and patted me on the head and made it very clear that they would be dictating what they what we could and couldn't do. So aside from the initial disappointment, I thought, you know, that's a blessing in disguise because our independence is a huge part of our value. No. Uh, eventually, there will be reimbursement uh, as care coordinators, um, you know, which is coming up with the Affordable Care Act. I mean, there are different avenues that we can pursue, but none of them must impinge upon the fact that we are independent. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, Karen, I wanted to echo the sentiment there. Um, for the listeners out there that are with us live and then, of course, those who will be listening to us archive. Now, Karen, of course, didn't tell me to say these things, um, obviously, be, because, um, uh, you know, I, I am a patient advocate. I've been working on my private practice for the last six years. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware of her matrix, and I think it's it's a wonderful um, tool. This is a, a wonderful platform for folks to get involved. And, of course, that's just going to be my own uh, unbiased, I think, opinion because, I, it took me six years to grow my practice, and it's going well. But I, but I, I did that with all the without a matrix that you have. Uh, seems like you have established for RNs out there to to really take hold of and really build a business around. And and I do want to say that um, going back to your financial aspect of it is that there are many people out there that uh, have the means and are willing to pay for an advocate, and you are hindered by so many rules and regulations when it comes to, you know, because people are sort of caught up in that whole insurance aspect of it. Well, do you accept insurance or Medicare and Medicaid? Once that happens, then it's you're almost as constricted as the healthcare providers that are trying to provide the, the, the most, uh, you know, basic care to people again because, and they're so constrained by the bureaucracy of the insurance company, we can actually work for the patient. We can work alongside with the patient in a partnership, and it's about the patient. Um, and, and that, that kind a of model, thing? a cash-based business. Yeah, a cash-based business can is is a doable business. It's a, it's successful. We don't accept insurance, and and the and one of the reasons why we don't accept insurance is because then we we deviate from our whole mission and philosophy to help our patients. It's concierge. Nursing, it's concierge medicine, and 
and any one of us pays for a specialist, a consultant to come in to help us do whatever it is that we need to do. And what more dire need than to help people navigate the complexity of their own health and wellness? So it's just it's a psychological um, – and, and again, I'm just saying this to your listeners out there, your community out there, Karen, just, just sort of reiterating that it's something that we have to help our potential clients, our future clients, to really understand psychologically everybody's so dependent on insurance when really um, if they fully understand and fully grasp the whole consulting aspect of what we do – then they will then appreciate how much we can offer, how swift we can be, how over how we can over deliver on those consulting fees because again we're not constrained by the insurance. So as yeah, I don't want to go I, off on a tangent there, I, but I just wanted to reiterate to your community out there that this is a real business and these people are in such dire need of this these services. Yes, they are. Um, the system is failing. And people are having bad outcomes, and they're dying, and that's exactly why we're doing this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Karen, if a nurse out there is listening to the show, either live or maybe archived, even several months from now, how could a nurse interested in pursuing this type of training become an independent RN patient advocate? I know there's there's some avenues to do that. So, what would they do? What would be the first step, for instance? Well, the first step is to find out really what this is all about. And you can, there's a lot of information on uh, patientadvocates.com website about exactly what this role is, what we do and what we don't do. So I would recommend first that you take a look at the role, you know. Um, and, and then if you are interested, uh, call and talk to an RMPA, you know. See what it's about. Um, there is also a learning intensive, uh, which is what we do in partnership with the University of Arizona College of Nursing. Um, when I first started teaching back in '09, that's when the university noticed me and uh, asked me to come in and do a presentation for the dean and her team, which I did. And at the end of two and a half hours, the dean said, well, you know, Karen, this is a new practice model. I said, yes, it is. <laughs> she said... Would you be willing to partner with us? Oh, what a wonderful day that was. So um, they are now our partner in creating this annual learning intensive. At this time, it keeps growing. Um, at this time, it is eight weeks online, and uh, you can count on doing uh, at least 15 hours a week uh, online. And that is followed by a six-day uh, uh, residential program, which is called Immersion because it is. We start early in the morning and we go through the evening. Um, so I would I would suggest that if this is something that appeals to you, um, you know, if you want to go beyond, if you, if you want to create a whole new career for yourself and you're passionate about patient advocacy, those are the steps that I would recommend. Well, Karen, I probably know the answer to this, but would you say that an RN who is looking to step away from the bedside, would he or she continue to hone those clinical skills by being a patient advocate? Because I think some people fear that if they step away from the hospital setting or that clinical side, that everything that they've learned, you know, those skills are just not going to be as sharp anymore. Well, I think it all depends on what you want to do with your career. Um, 
you know, you're not going to stay as current on your skills, but you are, you are going to develop others, which gets you even more intimately involved with your patients. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, there is a whole skill set involved with being an independent RMTA, um, and you are going to develop all of those new skills. We do not right. prescribe. We do not diagnose. We do not do hands-on. We advocate, we educate, and we guide in many, many different ways. And this is actually pure nursing. This is pure nursing. You're not doing just tasks. No. Mm-hmm. This is a, a really right, creative, I think that's a, creative thing. Yeah, and I think it's a platform actually for us to really uh, grow those skills because, you know, I've, I've mentioned several times where I spent uh, a couple of years in ICU at Hopkins, and it's very niche, very – I mean, it's sophisticated, yes, and you have to know. I mean, you've got to know because, you know, the the doc's pointing to you like, hey, this is your patient for the last couple of days. What do you want to do and ready to write the order? I mean, yes, you need clinical skills, and, and those um, need to be quite honed, and you need to be really in tune with yourself as a professional and confident, but also know what your patient needs. Uh, but I think as an advocate, the broad area, the broad spectrum, because the complexity that we deal with, you know, in, in the in the community, is is just mind-boggling. Like I said, what I saw in the ICU seemed somewhat controlled. I'm not saying that it. I mean, these these folks were sick. They were sick, but the folks in the community are just as sick, if not even more. They're just not, you know, critical for the ICU. Of course, I mean, some of them could be, um, but I find that, you know, for, and again for the community out there. This is an area where you can really hone some skills and and acquire many, many new skills because you have to have such a broad knowledge of so many various diagnoses and treatments. And, uh, you know, with medicine changing all the time, we have to stay on the up and up because the thing is is we're constrained oftentimes to the specific protocols and procedures and the way things are done in this particular hospital, whatever hospital that is, just fill in the blank. But in the community – you know, we're working with facilities, multiple facilities, multiple docs, multiple ways to get to the end results. And we have to apprise ourselves of what is being used in certain areas. I mean, that's just my opinion. Well, certainly, um, you can't even get into this program unless you have strong clinical skills. All right? You have to have that as a, as a backdrop. Um, but we are going to add a... a broad array of new skills. We're going to reframe everything. Um, you do a lot more. I'm an old ICU nurse. I worked in pretty much every ICU setting there is. And the only, you know, that is very task-oriented. And it's a critical thing that must be done. When you are acutely ill, you have to have those nurses to do that. But there is a global epidemic of chronic illness. Those people don't show up in the the ICU until they're in extremis, right? And so you have an opportunity to intervene early on, to alter the course, right, improve outcomes. And P.S., save money in the long term by intervening mm-hmm. early. And that takes a very specially developed set of skills. And that's what you must have, and that's what you learn in this learning intensive to become an orientation advocate. Mm. That sounds wonderful, Karen. And I notice, and I'm very impressed on your website, how 
you have partnered with the University of Arizona to offer this RN patient advocate certification program. And I noticed that actually there's the program begins, oh my gosh, September 21st and ends on November 23rd of this of this year. So it's actually yeah. beginning within several days from now, isn't it? Yeah, a week from today. A week from today. The online so. starts a week from today. You can still get in the class. There are there are still a few spots available. Um, but yeah, we we begin soon. And as I say, this is the online portion uh, where nurses will be working in groups of two or three online mm-hmm. and covering a great deal of information. Um, there's a reading list which is published um, to go along with that. Uh, it's a really it, it's called a learning intensive because it is. <laughs> Well, it sounds it sounds wonderful, and I have a question for you because Kevin and I are always interested in business and business practices and um, how nurses learn how to advocate for themselves, no pun intended, out there in the world as independent providers. So as part of this intensive, do you cover some of the learning that these nurses will need to, quote-unquote, hang a shingle and begin their own independent practice out there in the real world? Absolutely. When I started back in 02, I, did, I had never been in business. I didn't have a clue. Um, I had to put together, uh, you know, a checkerboard of support services, women's business groups, you know, small business association, and it's local affiliates. I mean, wherever I could get information. So in, in it is part of the learning intensive, the business skills that you will need, and the marketing. How do you make this happen? You know, I'm not talking about buying newspaper as that's only a one piece of marketing. What is marketing and how do you do it? How do you network? How do you make this happen? Um, so, yes, that's that's an integral part of the program. Right. And, and you know, Karen, I, I, I echo the sentiments that, you know, what Keith was saying. This is definitely a need uh, for sure when it comes to, I mean, nurses, we have the clinical skills. Uh, well, at least I hope if you're if you're going over there to uh, hang out there with Karen at patientadvocates.com and signing up for that program that's just around the corner, I encourage you to look at that site and uh, if you're interested, certainly sign up for the program. But you're right; those are um, valuable resources, tools, uh, education for those nurses to then be able to execute on that. So they've got the clinical skills, they want to be a patient advocate, they get it, but then how do they go out there and uh, make this happen and execute on that business? And so uh, this is wonderful to hear that that's part of the package for them because I think when I started my practice six years ago, fortunately I was an entrepreneur before and I had a lot of that savvy, but still as a nurse, I was so perplexed because I there's no template Real, at the time, there was no template. I couldn't find any template to figure out how I was going to start a private practice. Uh, and I really just kind of had to work on the fly and piece it together as I was just going along uh, months and months and months and years and years and years. And I'm still adding to it. So this is great that that's uh, part of the package. And I think that the community will definitely find that a very valuable piece. I will say firsthand that is a valuable piece uh, for them. I would like to say um, for those who- listening, those nurses listening, that nurses are like gold. The average age of the RN is, what, 46 years, something like that. Um, We're aging, Mm -hmm. but we have tremendous clinical knowledge and skill sets. 
and we are largely uh, ignored. You know, the system is failing, and the old institutions are not working. This is a moment of opportunity for nursing as a profession. RN patient advocacy is one road. This new practice model, it's a way to take the crisis and turn it into opportunity, just like the Chinese ideogram that stands for both crisis and opportunity. We are a tremendous resource that is being underutilized, and I, I for one, um, am trying my very best to recognize those nurses who have something additional to offer and, and create a way for them to do that, you know. Who better than, than experienced clinical nurses to step into the breach and begin to make positive change? I can't think of anybody better. No, I, I'm saying that all the time, uh, Karen. You're echoing what I'm saying in that, uh, yes, you are correct, and nurses are way underutilized uh, in the clinical setting. And, and I think even in some community settings when it comes to home health, all due respect to, because I work alongside with home health uh, nurses, but I think in this setting, then, um, y you know, you're right. I think we are we're really uplifting our profession, lifting us up to really work our full potential and to provide what it is that our patients need at their full potential. But speaking of potential, not a potential, actually a confirmed, it looks like we have a caller who has a question, and we love questions. We okay. certainly do. Let me bring on Barbara right now. Hello. Hi. Hey, Barbara. Hi, Hi there, Barbara. Hi, Karen. It's Barbara Vogue from California. Oh, hey and I'm, there, Barbara. Hi. I'm, I just wanted to tell you I'm so excited to start the program. And um, I've been really enjoying your interview and, and hearing of, you know, a little bit more of the details that we're going to be learning about. But um, I wanted to ask you, when you and I spoke in the past, we talked about how the focus is on access to care, not so much quality of care. Right. So I was wondering, I wanted to hear more about your vision and, like, if you were in charge, what would the health care system or the national health care plan, for that matter, look like? Well, first of all, I'd have um, universal access right off the bat. Medicine is not a business. Medicine is not for profit. Um, medicine has no business being run by business people who have no clue what this is about. I would directionalize it toward preventive, proactive, personalized, patient-centered, and not formulaic. And I would go way beyond drugs and surgery. I would include the functional and integrative models. Those are just a few of the changes that I would make. Well, it sounds like you're doing that with this program, so <laughs> Yeah, that's what I sounds, like, <laughs> sounds like we're gonna have a good start on that. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought um it might be helpful to for for people to hear. Would you like to hear a patient story? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Um sixty year old lady calls me, a woman calls me and she was diagnosed with stage four non Hodgkin's. Um, they told her there was nothing they could do for her. It was too slow growing. It was too indolent to, to treat with chemo. Obviously, radiation and surgery wasn't going to work for her. 
but it was continuing to worsen. And they said, this, go home, and basically too bad for you. So she called me, and and she was, of course, very upset. And um, she said, is there anything else that I could do? And I said, well, actually, there is. Um, I knew that many cancers are are inflammatory processes, and they are toxin-based. And so I was able to put her together with a naturopathic oncologist, which is an emerging branch of oncology that works hand-in-glove with mainstream oncology, um, and a functional medicine MD. And what we found out was astonishing. This woman grew up near Love Canal. Her lead and mercury levels, which are directly related with, with lymphomas, um, were off the charts. Mainstream wow. moms never looked at that. Nobody, you know, there's so much new medicine out there, and you have to be aware, and you have to go looking. So anyway, working with uh, with those physicians, she has now three years later, she's reversing her illness. It's going away, <laughs> and Amazing. it's only because we we took a look at terrain. Remember, I was talking about terrain. And we're reversing it. If you have cancer, you have to investigate terrain. And if you can alter terrain, your body's not going to continue to uh, provide a breeding ground for cancer. Anyway, that's just one little story. We have lots and lots of stories. Um, there's a fellow who had um, black ulcers weeping on both of his thighs. And no one knew what it was. And they were tanking him once a week to debride him. Um, and his doctors were arguing about what was going to happen. Well, you know, uh, what it was. Nobody knew what it was. So Paul RNPA, first thing I did is take him up the road to the Mayo Clinic, where they're expert at, at mystery illnesses in many events, and found out that it was something very arcane called calcifolactus. They were room was crowded because nobody had ever seen this. And uh, they were able to come up with a treatment plan and uh, got this man back to work. He was an accountant and reversed his illness. And it's because we were paying attention. You have to go after the why. And that's a critical thing that RMPAs do. Well, Karen, those those are great illustrations. And um, Barbara, how does it feel to hear these stories and to know that you'll be starting this eight-week intensive training in just seven days? (laughs) Well, um, trying not to get too overwhelmed with the thought of it, but, um, you know, I just, whenever I hear those stories or I hear Karen talk, I, you know, the passion is so obvious, and um, I feel that same passion, so I'm really excited to have that kind of an effect and to um, help people the way that nurses were really meant to help help them by truly advocating for them. Well, that's great. That's really wonderful. We really wish you luck. And um, Karen and Barbara, I just had an amazing brainstorm. I think Kevin had to step away from the microphone for a second, but I just had this idea that maybe sometime next year, Karen, we could have you back on the show with, say, I don't know, three graduates of your program, and we could talk about their experience in the training, what it was like, and where they are you know, at that point after the end of the program. Maybe that would be a really interesting conversation to have sometime in 2014. I think that's a great idea because nurses come out of this program and they are raring to go, man. And I tell you what, we're in 23 states now, and there are RMPAs setting up wonderful practices all over the country. And I think that's a great idea. Yeah, that's fun to think about. 
a year from now what I'm going to be doing. So that would be great. Um, one of the things that you will have an opportunity to do, Barbara, um, is that we have completely redesigned. There is a national network of orientation advocacy, and it has been a year in redesign process. And this is going to be the connecting link, our virtual community, with all kinds of um, marketing tools in there, as well as continuing education, mentoring. Um, there are many, many tools. If we're going to make this happen nationally, and that's what I see, nurses holding hands to make this happen and, and improve things from the grassroots level, I think we need to have our own community, and that's the national network. That's great. Absolutely. Well, that's that's really wonderful. So, Barbara, we really wish you luck in the training, and we'd love to hear Thank from you. you down the road how it goes. And um, okay. have a great night, and thanks for calling in. Thanks. You too. Looking forward okay. to Thank you, Barbara. Karen. Thank <laughs> okay. you. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Karen, that's exciting to have someone on the show calling in who's going to be starting this certification program in just a week. That's really wonderful. Oh, the nurses coming to this program are, are just outstanding. Um, honestly, the caliber of nurses who, who find this program, who, who come, is very, very high. Um, as I said earlier, you don't need an advanced degree, but many of them have advanced degrees, and all of them have decades of experience. Um, sure. These are very valuable, valuable clinicians, and it's oh, a wonderful no way doubt. to use all of that. No? Right. Oh, Karen, I have a quick question, actually. Speaking of advanced practice, and what is the minimum requirement for a nurse to actually become an IRNPA? What's the minimum educational requirement for this for them to um, join this movement? Um, I'm not so much interested in what their academic preparation is. I'm interested more in what they've done. Um, okay. This is this is clinically based. Um, you have to have a clean record, of course. But all of those things that I mentioned earlier, I'm looking way beyond academic preparation. I'm looking for all of those elements which are essential parts of the makeup of an RMTA. And so I'm going sure. way beyond. Uh, okay. Now, clinically, uh, I, I'm making a baseline of 10 years. I will make exceptions. There are the, the um, There are exceptions. But I have to tell you that most of the nurses coming into this program have at least 20 to 30 years. I would assume so. Right, that makes sense. Now, do you get any LPNs who are interested in becoming nurse patient Uh, advocates? They're not not admitted. You have to be an RN. Oh, see, that was what I was getting at. I was trying to find out what the minimum educational requirement is. Yeah, you have to be an RN. Okay, so a so a associate degree in nursing is the minimum requirement. Yes. Okay. Well, actually, that's really good. Though I have to say, there have been one or two diploma nurses who've been out there for thirty or forty years, and and depending upon their other attributes, you know, they may be admitted to the program as well. Sure. Well, there's some wonderful diploma nurses out there. I know there might be one or two diploma programs left in the country. I'm not sure if that's true anymore. But I've known some diploma nurses who've been in the nursing profession for decades, and they were some of the most astute clinicians I've ever met. So those diploma programs don't really exist much anymore, but there are some great clinicians out there who passed through those programs, you know, back in the, I guess, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and maybe even in the 90s. And are you aware of any 
any diploma programs that are out there now? I'm just curious. I don't think there are. I mean, there may be. I'm not aware of them. I, I mm-hmm. think the basic preparation now is the associate degree. Right. Um, and I, and, I know and the, then, then they have, um, there are universities uh, who have created programs for people who have a, a bachelor's in a biologic uh, science. Um, who can take a one to one and a half year course to become an RN? I'm not quite sure, sure. how they manage that, but th- those are available out there too. Right, they, out there, I've generally heard those referred to as second bachelor's programs. They had one right. at the University of Massachusetts where I did my bachelor's. I was in a RN to BSN program. It was a bridge from the community college associate degree to a bachelor's. But I know there's a lot of nurses out there who have degrees in all sorts of things. They have previous bachelor's degrees, and they turn those folks into nurses pretty quickly. And it's it's fascinating to watch people go through those types of programs. It's very intense. And I've seen some great clinicians come through there, too. Now, I see, Karen, um, that RN patient advocates also are... I'm working in group practices. Is that true, or is it is it your group practice in particular that's practicing out there in um, in Tucson? I believe we have the first. We are creating the national model for RN patient advocacy group practice, and I love it. It is the most exciting thing when nurses truly work together in a community setting. Um, we can accomplish great things. We have one day a week which is group day, and we do grand rounds. Now, this is the Mayo model, where everybody talks about their patients, and we mind meld. And that means that I'm going to think of something that the other nurse isn't going to, and she's going to think of something that I haven't. So the patients actually have, uh, you know, access to all of us. Um, There is centralized administrative working so that not everybody has to do everything by themselves, and it also saves a lot of money. We have joint marketing, which really expands our reach, um, and we support one another. Uh, you know, this is something new, and it's, it's really an exciting thing to be able to do it in a group. This is something that I would like to see spread across the United States uh, as more and more nurses become RNCAs you know, to adopt the group model. And and we're finding out what works and doesn't work right there in Tucson. Great. Well, this is this is all great uh, news, Karen. I apologize. I had to actually get off the air momentarily. I had to take a call, uh, a patient call about a medication. So I had to pause for a moment and get out of the studio. So patient advocates are in need constantly, and it's 8 o'clock my time, and I had to take a phone call. So, um Hey, we're in need, and it does work, and your private practice will hopefully thrive just as mine is. And speaking of private practice, Karen, we have uh, Maureen. She's going to be uh, signing up here, or she signed up for the class, I believe. She's going to be uh, you know, with you here very shortly, but right now she is with us here on RNFM Radio and with you, Karen. So, Maureen, you're on the air with us live, and you had, a, I believe, a question or a comment for Karen. Yeah, hi, Karen. It's Maureen Nato. How are you? Hey there. <laughs> I what just wanted I to call in, listening to your show. It's great. Um, and I just wanted to say that um, you know, I've been doing the, the reading in preparation for the class next week, uh, which is so interesting. Um, but the, uh, 
the sort of foundation of some of the reading in terms of all the, the research in terms of medical errors. I mean, I sort of knew this, but it really has been horrifying to, like, read the statistics of the medical errors. Um, yeah, it's a real eye-opener, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and I, I think that the, in one of the articles, the author used the um, image of the amount of people that are dying from medical errors equal flying a jumbo jet into a mountain every other day. Yeah, and, and there'd be a big lot of flap doodle if, if people knew about well, that. But you don't well, hear about that. No, you don't. And that was really what struck me is that that uh, image of the amount of people that are actually being killed every year um, is so huge compared to other things that people you know get rightly upset about. But um, these numbers are enormous. And, uh, well, you know, the thing that, that impressed me, I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more, and that's a, that was a good analogy that that, that study cites, um, is that it's not the docs and the nurses, and this is something that I stress to the community at every opportunity. Doctors and nurses have not become substandard, but they have got to play by the rules of the system, and the system is rigged for failure, and that's why this is happening. One of the things I noticed in the in the reading, um, one of the articles was talking about the main issue, of one of the main reasons that people, uh, was the failure to rescue in the hospitals um, was the main cause of death, where people had emerging, you know, problems and crises that just weren't recognized um, quickly enough or effectively enough, and was saying that it happened more on medical floors, not so much in surgical floors, but the medical floors, people just seem slow, you know, to recognize and respond. And, you know, I've been knocking around nursing for a long time, you know, 35 years or something, and in my personal experience and experience with my family these days, you know, the the nursing, of course, staffing in the hospitals is lower than it's been. People are sicker. And also the amount of um, lack of continuity with nurses every day, I, I have found personally very disturbing in the hospital and was thinking about that in terms of the, the nurses don't have a chance to actually know their patients in the hospital because no, people are just kind of step, stepping in and there used to be something called primary nursing. Does that exist anymore? Well, <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, I, think in, I think in name only, truly. Uh, yeah. The, the, there was a, a critical study done at the University of um, Pennsylvania published several years ago, which demonstrated that for every patient over the magic number of four that a nurse has on her team, the chance of death due to medical error goes up by 7%. Now, most nurses carry a team of easily 8 to 12 people. Right. Just right. do the math. Um, yeah. You know, you can't pay attention to that many really sick people. You can't. You, know? you can't. So I was reading that. I was like, well, you know, you've got more patients. They're sicker. You know, every patient that you have is pretty acutely ill if they're in the hospital still. You know, they haven't gone home yet. But um, how much yeah. work do you do personally or do the people in your group do going actually into the hospital with hospitalized patients? Um, most of our patients are in the community setting. We keep them out of the hospital. <laughs> Pardon me, um, I didn't hear you again. We, we keep them out of the hospital whenever right, possible. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we work in the ICU setting. We work on the floors. Um, 
you know, we certainly are, are conversant with being RMPAs, and we're very well accepted, I have to say, in, in the hospital setting. Mm-hmm. But we prefer to keep, keep people out if at all possible. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, Maureen, I was going to say, thank you so much for the call. And, you know, Karen's right. We do try to keep those patients out of the hospital. So um, we do uh, work on the perimeter and oftentimes, some, you know, get in the hospitals and work directly with the docs for our patients. But, yes, we uh-huh. our efforts are very strong to keep yeah. them out of the And there. I was going to say, so, I, I also went to, uh, yeah. to UMass Nursing School at Numerous. Great. Great. You did. Oh, well, that's great. My my alma mater. That's great. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. There you go. Well, Maury, we really appreciate you calling in to the show. And, okay. and Karen's going to appreciate having you uh, on board with her program. So thank you okay. so much. Thanks we so appreciate much. your support. Okay. And we're, yeah, good luck, we're supporting Maury. you. So. Yep. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank okay, you. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Wow, that was great. Well, so, Karen, um, so we, we've got a few days until the 21st, so we certainly want to tweet that out. I think Keith has been tweeting out uh, patientadvocates.com, and, of course, they can easily sign up where on the website. So when they go to patientadvocates.com, where on the website do they uh, go to sign up? Right up on top it says um, become an RN patient advocate, um, and if okay. you click on there, it tells you everything. There's a brochure there. gives you all the information next to that. Uh, is something that says Class 2013 apply now. In order to apply, you must complete a questionnaire. You got to really think about your answers. That is followed by an, uh, a telephone interview with me, and that typically lasts 45 minutes to an hour. And if it mm-hmm. looks like a good fit on both sides, then you're in. Great, great, Karen. Great. We, I've been well, reading we'll all of that out, out right now. Yep. 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 We'll and I that just out sent too. out. Um, we'll share it. Right, and you can I'm reach sorry, Karen. Oh, yeah, you can reach Karen at Karen at patientadvocates.com. We just tweeted that out, and her phone number also five two zero seven four three seven zero zero eight five two zero seven four three seven zero zero eight. Karen at patientadvocates.com, and we also sent out some information about how to sign up for the. Um, program that's starting next week. So Thank anything you. else, Kevin? Any other um, last-minute comments or questions here? Well, I think, um, well, I just, yeah, I was going to say the same thing, and I, I just wanted to say, again, Karen didn't ask me to say this, but I think she knows what, she, I know she knows what she's talking about, and again, having your own private practice <clears throat> it is a viable business, folks, um, and, and certainly head over to patientadvocates.com. But yeah, Karen, if you have one last uh, thought here before we wrap. Follow your passion, and if your passion is patient advocacy, just know that there is a road to success for you to do that. I, every nurse who calls me says, Karen, I've been dreaming about this for years, and I think that there are probably thousands of us out there, and it's time to get together and do it, and do it together in a community setting. Um, and so I applaud nurses who, who go in this direction, and I will do everything in my power make it possible. Well, thank you, Karen. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we'll make sure everyone knows about what's happening over at patientadvocates.com, and thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Okay. You have a great night. Thank you. 
Well, Kevin, it sounds like our right. inpatient advocates do a great deal of wonderful work with patients, and it sounds very close to what you do every day. Most definitely. And like I said, though, that was not even uh, planned. I had to step off the air just momentarily because I got a text message or a phone call, and I needed to reply to or respond to someone about a medication. So um, it, it's yeah, it's a, it's a viable business, and it's it's such a need because um, questions come up because doctors change the plan, and they uh, you know patients are trying very hard to pay attention about what's going on. It is so complex at times. Uh, in some situations, I have patients who forget, like, oh, my gosh, I forgot I was supposed to wean this medication. So we work on a plan to get them down to say, okay, we'll put it on the calendar. Uh, we'll set up an email reminder or a text message alert or something to know that, remember, you got to cut that dose in half because we're we you know, you're getting weaned off of this medication or we're titrating up. It just depends. And so that's just one example of of what we do and what I was actually just doing. Uh, just moments ago. So, yeah, right. um, Karen and I hit it off right away on the phone. And, again, folks, she she knows what she's talking about, and this is a business uh, that is for years to come and such a huge thing. Mm-hmm. That's true. And with the aging of the population, of course, that we're always talking about here on the show, there's going silver to be people tsunami. out there. The, the silver tsunami. There. Right. And I can just <laughs> – yeah. And I can just imagine – Say you're, you have an elderly parent living across the country from you. You want a trusted person to be able to help them navigate their health care concerns and their appointments or whatever's coming up. Imagine being able to hire an independent RN patient advocate local to your parent to be able to help them and be there in your stead and be your eyes and ears when you live across mm-hmm. the country, right? Well, you right. know, it's a, yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, Keith, one of the one of the explanations I was talking to someone. This was years ago, um, but it's sort of getting over that hump of the the insurance. And do you accept insurance? And I can't imagine being able to uh, pay for this without insurance. But think about this: we maintain our cars, cars, not human beings. Our cars. Insurance doesn't pay for that maintenance. Good and, point. And here we are trying to help with maintenance, health maintenance. And you know, Karen said it. We've said it. We are the best positions to be able to do to provide these services. I'm not trying to say we're mechanics, so to speak, but I I just put it into terms that yeah, we have health care insurance, but we have car insurance, we have other types of insurance, but we still have to make these investments. But pay in comparison, very little now. Make the investment now so that you're not paying dearly much to later on from mistakes. Um, and as as your diagnosis or your disease uh, progresses, or the diagnosis becomes more complex, or what have you, so right. I mean, I I certainly don't need to to sell myself or I think the community on this. They know, they're aware of it, um, but certainly the clients they need to know it, and that's kind of the angle that I come from anyway. And it, and sure. it usually works, and and they find the value in it. So and that's I'm right. just glad to to have another advocate out there. Right. And, you know, if any nurses out there want to be able to do this and hang a shingle, but you don't really feel, I don't want to say competent, but you may be confident enough to hang a shingle yourself, this program might be the key, this eight-week program, to really getting your confidence up to be able to 
become an IRNPA and become a patient advocate. So just head over to patientadvocates.com. I just sent this over to a friend who can check it out because she's been starting to hang her own shingle and I thought maybe this would be of interest to her as well. So there's lots of people out there, I think, who really maybe want to leave the bedside, do something a little different and still really benefit people's lives in enormous ways. Right, Kev? Exactly. You are yeah. the nail on the head. That's right. Yeah. Now, um, I know it's about quarter after the hour, Kevin, so I wanted to give a little heads up about what's coming up on RNFM. Can I go ahead and make a few announcements? Uh, we love announcements. We need announcements because you know what, Keith? I don't know what's what? going on. Actually, I, oh I know gosh. what's going on. I should. I should know what's going on, but our community doesn't know what's going on, so please right. let us know. Well, let me remind you, too, anyway. So we just want to let folks know that we're starting, as promised, to add some extra shows several times a month. And this Wednesday, in two days, September 18, 2013, we're having our first daytime show. And it will be at 12 p.m. Pacific, which is 3 p.m. Eastern. And we're having Dr. Larry Berkelhammer. And he's a specialist in mind-body medicine, especially mindfulness and how to use the mind to overcome illness. And he's had his own personal experience that he'll be sharing with us on air on Wednesday. So that's Wednesday, September 18th at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's going to be our new time on Wednesdays, folks. So get used to it. Now on the 23rd, that's next Monday on our usual Monday evening. We're going to have Coach Elizabeth Scala with members of the Rejuvenation Collaboration, and they'll all be talking about what they'll be offering during the upcoming Rejuvenation Collaboration in October. So that'll be a very exciting group interview. And again, that following Wednesday, that's next Wednesday, the 25th of September at 3 p.m. Eastern, we will have Diane Yeager of EHR Tutor, and she has a new program that she's rolled out to nursing schools all around the country. She's a nurse entrepreneur teaching nursing students how to use electronic medical records because a lot of schools don't have the wherewithal to teach students themselves. And then on the 30th of September, we have Alicia Pierre, expert nurse business coach. We're excited to have Alicia on the show. So there are four more shows in September, Kevin. Did you realize that? Four shows. That's incredible. Four we more said we were going to add more. People didn't believe us, though. They were like, yeah, whatever. No, no. They've been talking about no. this for months. We've just That's been right. planning it. That's all. We wanted to bring That's you valuable content. Right. And Kev, I do want to let the cat out of the bag and let folks know that we will be switching to a daytime slot, that Wednesday 3 p.m. Eastern slot in 2014. So our regular broadcast will start to be on Wednesdays in the afternoon. But we'll keep you posted about that as the time gets closer. But we are starting these Wednesdays to get you used to it, and then there'll be some changes in our programming beginning in 2014. But don't panic yet. All's well. Don't worry. And, Kevin, let's give a little another, another shout-out about the National Nurses and Business Association Conference in Orlando. Yeah. You and I will be speaking there and presenting and podcasting and videocasting and tweeting live. You can follow the hashtag NNBA2013. That's hashtag NNBA2013. And Kevin and I are both sponsoring several nurses each to come to the conference. So if you'd like to save $400, 
not have to pay the conference fee, be our guests, and just get yourself there and book your very reasonable hotel room, you can come as our mm-hmm. guest to the National Nurses and Business Association Conference. Right, Kevin? Oh, exactly, Keith. Uh, and you know, for the listeners tonight uh, who are listening with us live and are still with us live, um, of course, you know, Karen's program. I mean, you're you're an entrepreneur, you're an independent contractor, and that's what we're going to be talking about at the NNBA 2013. So, think of this as a way to add to your skill set as an entrepreneur uh, to be among many. Uh, nurses out there who not only have years of clinical experience, but we combined, I, I can't even add the numbers up, uh, and then we all just become dated anyway, but how many years of experience we have as entrepreneurs? I mean, I, I just, I, decade, century? I don't know. I mean, there are just a lot of nurses there that who have ha- hung their own shingles uh, and have been nurse entrepreneurs, independent contractors for decades, some individually. Um, That's very true. And so That's true. This is an opportunity, yeah, for you to uh, take that budding practice that you're going to be starting as a, as an RN patient advocate or whatever business that you have or, or or embarking on to be among some of the very best in the country uh, and and to have some of your uh, most intimate questions, desires, whatever that is, answered uh, among these many many great nurse entrepreneurs. So that's true. Hit us up. That's true. Hashtag RNFM right. Radio, and we'll give you the details on how we can sponsor you, at least the registration uh, part of the NNBA. That's right. And if you're not using Twitter and don't want to use the hashtag, you can call our Google Voice number 720-466-3022. That's 720-466-3022. You can call or send us a text, and we'll get back in touch mm-hmm. with you. So, Kevin, that's what's happening. Uh, We'll be back in two days on Wednesday with Dr. Larry Berkelheimer at 3 p.m. Eastern. So we'll be back on the air in less than 48 hours. And you can find me, of course, over at... Yes, Kev. Well, no, I was going to say, we didn't forget. We we didn't forget, forget? but but you did mention, well, the RC4 that's coming up on October 21st. But you you mentioned we're having them on the show, so we're having Elizabeth and the gang, uh, and the gang. Um, The the speakers and presenters will be having those those, uh, nurses on the show with us Monday. Well, not all nurses, not all nurses in the RC4. Is that correct, right? Because I believe Mary is a part of it. Right. Um, yes. But the presenters, we're going to have some of them on our show Monday, September 23rd. We did want to shout out under the hashtag RejuveCollab. You can get more details there. But you have to listen live on the show on September 23rd, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard, 7 p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Pacific. You get the gist um, that we're they're giving away. There's a drawing to receive two RC4 backstage passes, and you're entered into the drawing if you sign up and you're with us live on the air that night, September 23rd, with us live. So that's that's the disclaimer. Got to be with us live to be entered into that drawing to receive the two RC4 backstage passes that Elizabeth is so graciously uh, giving away to the community out there. Oh, that's right. That's right. Thanks for pointing that out, Kevin. So, yes, we'll be having that live drawing next week. You'll have to be listening live on the 23rd, so please do that. And, Kev, I was just going to say folks can check out rnfmradio.com for our latest blog posts. Uh, We have some new blog posts up there. And I'm going to let you bring us home tonight and close the show, and we'll be... uh, 
We'll be back on air in just a couple days. So everyone have a wonderful night. You can find me at nursekeep.com. And please visit rnfmradio.com for more information about what's happening in our community. So, Kev, you have a great night, and um, you can say goodnight to all our guests out there for us. Sounds great, Keith. Thank you so much. It's always been a pleasure. Oh, it's always a pleasure to spend my time with you. And, of course, Karen, thank you so much. And there was Barbara and Maureen and just the, the listeners out there, the, the questions, the comments. We appreciate that as well. And uh, without a doubt, we want to thank each and every one, one of you for spending your time with us live tonight or whatever day you happen to be listening to our show archived. RNFM Radio is working hard to bring you valuable content while creating a global exchange among nurses and other clinicians. We hope that you in some way have felt uplifted, motivated, and ready for something that moves the needle for you. Find passion in your life and also with everything that you create each and every day. Care for yourself while caring for others. And, of course, we look forward to having you back here with us again on RNFM Radio. And, again, we do want to mention the NNBA conference. will be there live October 5th and 6th in Orlando, Florida. And, of course, we'd love to have you there with us. So please do not hesitate to hit us up at rnfmradio.com. That's how you can find us. That's the best way you can find us. Just reach out and get in touch with us. We'd love to sponsor you and have you there with us. And as always, this is the Pulse of Nursing signing off here on RNFM Radio. Have a wonderful evening, day, week, month, whatever it is, wherever you are listening to our show. <laughs>